0: Now the honour of your name, Heavenly Father, that's uh, what we're thinking about today. And we pray that as we look at your word, the Bible now, that you would help us to know how best we can respond, uh, not only in terms of money, but our whole being, that your name would be honoured in this great city and all around the world. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please do sit. Well, as you make yourself comfortable, can I encourage you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, one of the two readings that Linda read for us earlier. Page 974 is the page number in the church Bibles. You might also uh, like it, if you like following these things, to look at the back of the uh, service order uh, because there's an outline of this sermon there uh, just so that you can see uh, where we're going uh, in the next few moments. Let me also say, if you're a, a guest here, a visitor here, uh, if this is your first time here, you're very welcome, we're thrilled you've come, and I do hope you're not left with the impression that uh, Christ Church Forward is always about money. Uh, we don't often talk about money, this is one of the big days in the year when we do, and uh, so I, I hope you're not left with that impression that that's what we're all about. Come again, and you'll see we don't keep talking about it. Uh, for those of you who come regularly, I don't give any apology for this, um, uh, it's important that we talk about it, and that's what we're going to do now. I wonder if you ever uh, look at a situation and uh, get completely the wrong end of the stick. Ever happened to you? Uh, Lateish on a Saturday night, a young man was walking home when he saw uh, another man, an older man, grabbing hold of a young woman in her twenties. Uh, she was struggling to get away, screaming and shouting for help, and obviously very distressed. Uh, The young man rushed over, I mean rather, uh, in some ways rather foolishly in in view of all the sort of things that goes on these days, but rather courageously he rushed over to help her and and just as he began to wrestle the older man away from the woman, two policemen grabbed the younger man and pulled him away. It turned out, you see, that the older man was a plainclothes policeman and he was restraining the woman who was drunk and threatening to throw herself in the river. The two policemen had just arrived on the scene at the very point that the younger man had dived in and they pulled him off the other policeman. It's very easy, isn't it, to look at a situation and completely misread it. Now, as I've been looking at Matthew chapter 9, I I see that is exactly what I do when I look at crowds of people regularly. And that's why I need to see, first point on the the, uh, outline there, God's vision of the world. Look at Matthew 9, verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's how Jesus sees crowds, harassed and helpless. And let me tell you how I get the wrong end of the stick. When I'm in a crowd, other people are a nuisance or an inconvenience. In July, on, uh, I was on a journey that took me through London. I arrived at St Pancras Station and had a very tight schedule to catch another train at Liverpool Street Station. It was a Saturday afternoon, and both the station and the underground was heaving with people. I knew I needed to get from A to B quickly, and so I saw crowds of people, and to my shame I saw them as a nuisance and an inconvenience. They were in my way. How selfish. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because he saw them as harassed and helpless. Uh, even when I'm not so selfish, when I, when I do lift my eyes above my own needs, I look at crowds of people and see them as confident and self-reliant. Is that how you see people on the whole? I was in uh, Sheffield City Centre recently. The sun was shining, people were sitting around the fountains, laughing, relaxing, having fun. As I looked around at them, they all looked so happy, so full of life. They looked so content. They looked as if everything was well with them. See, when I look at crowds, I completely misread the situation. When I look at people, I often think to myself, they'll never turn to Jesus. They're happy as they are. And that's where I need to remember these words in verse 36. When Jesus sees people, he sees them as they really are. He looks beyond the superficial. His gaze penetrates into our hearts. He sees people harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Over the summer, we spent a week's holiday in in Wales. Uh, We were in a cottage... um, Uh, Tucked away in the hills and uh, on a couple of occasions I really enjoyed getting up uh, a little earlier than the rest of the family. It wasn't particularly early, just earlier than the rest of the family and went for a run uh, in the hills. I ran through these little windy lanes, roads barely wide enough to get uh, one car down them. And as I ran through these narrow lanes I came across sheep in the roads, not expecting anybody I think to be uh, running. And uh, as they saw me running towards them, I could see the panic on their faces. Uh, they had quite a long time to respond because I don't run very quickly. But still, there was panic on their faces. And uh, and then they sort of looking all around. And suddenly, one would dart off, uh, not knowing which way to run, would just run. And as soon as one had run, you know how it goes. All the others run after them. That's what sheep do. I don't have a clue where they're going. They just run, and then everyone goes with them. Harassed sheep need a shepherd a shepherd to guide them. And that, says Jesus, is how people are. Um, They don't really have a clue in life. Uh, One runs, we'll all do that. Shepherdless and leaderless is how Jesus sees people. Uh, Turn with me, if you will, keep uh, your service order or something in Matthew 9 and turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34, the the other reading that we had uh, earlier from Linda. It's page 865 uh, in the Church Bibles. I think this is what is in Jesus' mind when he's uh, talking about people being um, uh, sheep without a shepherd. Ezekiel 34 is probably the best uh, shepherd and sheep um, chapter in the Bible for understanding what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd. Uh, Listen to the Lord's words through Ezekiel the prophet to the leaders of Israel in about the year 600 BC. Ezekiel chapter 34. And verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth. No one searched or looked for them. It is a desperate, desperate few verses Here are people longing to be led and the Lord has put leaders uh, in place for them and those leaders won't lead them. It is desperate, isn't it, when leaders that God has commissioned to lead people are out for themselves, feathering their own nests. That's what this is about. And when sheep don't have shepherds to lead them, they wander all over the place and then they become in danger of wild animals. You know the scandal of MP's expenses has left many people deeply cynical when it comes to politics and those who lead our nation because now people are saying well they're just like this here are people feathering their own nests now please be sure to hear me say this there are for sure politicians who are upright and trustworthy and serving in public office selflessly I know a politician just like that but to see politicians milking the system has been hard to swallow for many, many people and probably has just exacerbated a long-standing uh, feeling by some that our political parties are more concerned to get elected than to do the right thing for our nation. You see, many people in this land feel that we are leaderless. But actually, that doesn't surprise me at all and I don't think that's what this is mainly talking about. It doesn't surprise me because I shouldn't expect Christians to live Christi- uh, non-Christians to live Christianly. If they're not Christians, why shouldn't they live selfless lives? Now what is more shocking is when the leaders of God's church don't lead his people. Isn't that shocking? That really, I think, is what Ezekiel 34 is about. A friend went to a church earlier this year and the minister, an an ordained Anglican minister, told the congregation to support the atheist camps that Dawkins has set up minister said it would be good to send children on those camps. Young, impressionable minds. Go and tell them that there is no God. A while back I was explaining the gospel to someone. He said to me, I've been to many churches down through the years but no one's ever told me about Jesus' death on the cross being bringing forgiveness. I've always been told that Christianity was about trying to be a, a nicer person. Now look, I could tell you many more stories like those. I could tell you my own story. My brother uh, invited me to church. And I heard the gospel clearly explained and I became a Christian. And so I started going to the local church that my parents were involved in. And I began to wonder over the weeks and months why this wonderful gospel message of forgiveness wasn't being taught there. So I made an appointment to see the minister. He was much older than me. I was only uh, in my 20s. I was just, uh, just 20. Uh, and he was much older than me and much wiser than me, I I thought. I was very nervous about going to see him and uh, as I spoke to him about this message that I'd heard that I thought was wonderful, he told me there was no judgment, no hell and no need to worry about all that stuff. He told me that God was love and it didn't matter what we believed, providing we weren't really bad, we'd be fine and we'd all go to heaven. See, when leaders in the church will not lead people to come... (laughs) to the one true living God through the one true gospel of grace how can anyone find meaning and direction in life when they are harassed and helpless so people actually sometimes make their way to a church and sometimes they don't even hear the glorious message of forgiveness and new life in Christ isn't it desperate and Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9 verse 36 that people need need to hear that glorious gospel message because they don't have a clue they are harassed and helpless They don't know where they're going in life. As a a vicar, I often find myself in the very privileged position of talking to people about things that really matter. Once we we get beyond the the superficial, uh, the niceties of life, when people let their guard down, I find people who, are just as Jesus says, harassed and helpless. I think one conversation I had earlier in the year, I was speaking with a successful man. He's done well in his career he has a happy marriage. Materially, he, he has a good life. And as we chatted, he asked me about my job and asked me why I did what I did. I told him why I thought the job that I did was one of the best jobs anyone could ever do in the world. And after a while, he lowered his voice. We were in a, a, a big group of people. He lowered his voice so that the others around couldn't hear. And he said to me gently, you know, I wish I had your faith, but I could never believe. Just before the summer, uh, I was speaking to a man in his 40s. He has a successful business. He said to me, I've worked hard all my life. I've got everything I want, except a life. He spoke of the way, in the last 30 years, he's worked hard, and he said, those 30 years have just whizzed by, and he said, I don't have anything except work. I've given up everything to build up this business, and now that's all I have. The thing is, you see, many people would aspire to be like these men. They seem to be confident and happy and successful guys. But when they let their guard down, when they opened up, I saw them as Jesus saw the crowds, harassed and helpless. And that, I think, is why Jesus said in verse 37, the harvest is plentiful. Whatever it looks like, and you see, when I look at crowds, I don't think as Jesus does, but whatever it looks like, people need Jesus. Whatever it looks like, Jesus tells us there are many people who are are waiting to become Christians. The harvest is ripe. Isn't that exciting? I think I need to keep being reminded of that because most of the time I look at people and get completely the wrong end of the stick. I look at people and think they'll never become a Christian. I told a friend of mine that that was how I felt, that was how I thought, and he said, well, no, you're completely wrong. He said, that's how people used to see me. He said, I was very good at presenting myself as somebody who, was, uh, who had it all together and while I wasn't desperately unhappy, I, I didn't know where I was going in life and you know, as soon as someone told me the gospel, I jumped at the chance to follow Jesus. Oh, that's great to hear that, isn't it? People are ready to become Christians. That's Jesus' point. The harvest is ripe. I remember it in my own life. As a 20-year-old, I was doing okay in life. I was told I had a promising career in the newspaper business. I'd just bought my own property. I was 20. But as I brought it and as I was getting all these things, I thought, so what? I wasn't desperately unhappy, but getting everything I'd always wanted and quite early in life left me with big questions. See, no one would have known it to look at me, but um, I was becoming aware of my sinfulness, although I wouldn't have called it that, And so I wasn't satisfied with the person I was. I wondered what happened when I died. And I wondered what life was all about. I was ready to hear the gospel message. I was ripe for the harvest. I guess hundreds of us, if we went through the congregations, 9.15, 11 and 6.30 tonight, hundreds of us in this church would say the same thing. I think we need to remind ourselves of that then rather than assume that people we're meeting don't want to become Christians, we might believe what Jesus says here in verse 37, the harvest is ripe. People are waiting to become Christians. They're harassed and helpless, no one to lead them. And that is why I am having this increasing conviction of this dream of seeing 10% of the population of Sheffield in Bible-believing churches. See, half a million people in Sheffield. Can you imagine 50,000 people in Bible-believing churches in this city? That would look like this. It would look like 200 churches with congregations of 250 people or more. Can you imagine 200 churches that strong with 250 or more people in them? I think that's possible. Because God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. It's possible because the word of God is powerful as we saw in the parable of the mustard seed two weeks ago and it's possible because the harvest is ripe. There are people in this city waiting to become Christians. They just need somebody to tell them. See, I I believe we could see this city become 10% Christian in our lifetime. 50,000 people in Bible-believing churches in Sheffield. How is that possible, you ask, in a lifetime? Well, let me just uh, remind you of the figures from Christchurch Central that we saw on the screen. Planted six years ago from this church, with just 50 people leaving. Within five years, 250 people attend the church and more now. They now have two congregations because they can't fit them all into the one building, and they're considering planting another church. So that's all happened within five years. So Christchurch Encliff now has been, been launched uh, last month. 50 people went, already they're getting 75 within a month. If we plant a church every two years for the next 20 years, we'll have planted 10 new churches in 20 years' time. And looking at Christchurch Central, it's reasonable to think that those churches within that time will have grown to have congregations of 250 people or more. So then in 20 years' time, if each church plants a new church every five years... In 25 years time we'd have 20 new churches 5 years later 40 new churches 5 years after that 80 new churches and so within 35 years we could see 160 new churches in the city Within a generation we could see Sheffield transformed and there are lots of other churches who are interested in doing this as well it's not just about us you see We could transform the city Will you dream the dream with me? I imagine people turning up at Sheffield, coming to a university and uh, saying to somebody before they arrive, are there any good Bible-believing, thriving churches in Sheffield? And we laugh at them. We say, are there any? There's dozens, take your pick. The harvest is ripe. People are wanting to become Christians because they are harassed and helpless with no one to lead them. And when we see people like that, we'll have compassion for them. See, look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, when we see people as they really are, we'll stop seeing crowds as, uh, uh, of people as an inconvenience, as so often I do. We'll have compassion on them as Jesus did. More literally, this verse says that Jesus was moved with compassion. The word compassion there in verse 36 is the strongest word in, in the Greek language for pity. And uh, if you like these sort of things, it might uh, interest you to know that the, word, um, that the root word is linked to the word for bowel. So Jesus, moved with compassion, with pity, was moved to the, the deepest depths of his being. That's the point. It's the feeling you get when you see the pictures of dear people who've been affected by earthquakes and tsunamis and typhoons. It breaks your heart as you see those pictures. That's how Jesus felt as he saw crowds of people, not in typhoons, but as he sees crowds of people in Sheffield City Centre. He has compassion on them because they are as spiritually needy. Sorry, they are as spiritually needy as the Indonesians are physically needy. Now listen to J. C. Ryle on this, the old uh, Bishop of, of Liverpool uh, at the beginning of the uh, last century. Jesus saw multitudes of people when he was on earth, scattered about like sheep having no shepherd. He was moved with compassion. He saw them neglected by those who for the time ought to have been teachers. He saw them ignorant, hopeless, helpless, dying and unfit to die. The sight moved him to deep pity. That loving heart could not see such things and not feel. Now what are our feelings when we see such a sight? This is the question that should arise in our minds. There are many such to be seen on every side. There are millions of idolaters and heathen on earth, millions of deluded Muslims, millions of superstitious Roman Catholics. There are thousands of ignorant and unconverted Protestants near our own doors. Do we feel tenderly concerned about their souls? Do we deeply pity their spiritual destitution? Do we long to see that destitution relieved? That's the challenge that Ryle puts before us. That is God's vision of the world as he looks at the world. And so secondly, in flowing out and from that, God's vision for his church, verse 37. See, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When we see people as they really are, you see, when we have compassion for them, That will lead us to want to send workers into the harvest field so that people are told the good news of Jesus. Do you see the link with compassion? Please do not tell me that you are compassionate for people and don't care whether they hear the gospel. You simply are not, because when Jesus is compassionate for them, the first thing he does is he says, we must go and tell them. That's the logic of this passage. Seeing the need, seeing people as harassed and helpless without Christ, should move us to compassion, and compassion should move us to want to see workers for the harvest. The harvest needs gathering, and it is a huge harvest, so we need hundreds of workers in the harvest field, which is why Jesus says, Pray, verse 38, the first thing. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. That's the first step. Pray the Lord would raise up people to go out into the harvest field. I want to ask you if you'll join with me in doing that very thing, praying for future leaders. See, we've been doing that in the last uh, three and a half years here as a leadership at uh, Christ Church Forward. It's been very exciting to see the Lord answer that prayer. Uh, When I came here, I laid out a plan to send off more people to be ordained in the Church of England from this church. See, as a church family, uh, we'd not done that in the previous decade. Not not significant. I think one, maybe two people had gone. So we've been praying that the Lord would send us workers to be ordained in the Church of England. This year we have three people at Theological College training for ordination. One more has just been accepted conditionally and all being well, he'll be off to theological college next year. One more is about to go on a national selection conference in two weeks' time. Two more are going through the local selection process and eight more people are meeting with me regularly consider, to consider whether this is the right thing for them. Isn't that thrilling? We've been praying that the Lord would, answer, would, would, would send us workers and he's answering our prayer. It's thrilling. It's thrilling. And I think of our trainees. What a brilliant program that is. I was thrilled to inherit such a great scheme when I arrived. The year or two that our trainees spend with us helps them to see if full-time paid Christian ministry is for them. And after spending a year or two with us, many of them have gone on from a trainee position to be in full-time paid Christian ministry or, or others taking a significant lead in their local church. It's a terrific way to train leaders. But you know, every year that I've been here, we've had more people wanting to be trainees than we've had money to take them on. The Lord is sending us workers as we're praying for that. This year, we've two extra trainees. But listen, one of them has funded herself and the other one has found some funding from another source. Now look, I tell you these stories to say the Lord is answering our prayer for more workers to be sent into the harvest field. We've been praying The Lord has answered, will you pray as well? Will you pray with me for this to happen more and more? Pray that more will want to go abroad. We heard about the really exciting thing of international um, student ministry. Pray that more would want to do that so that uh, the the people who get converted here will go back as missionaries. Uh, Pray for more to want to be children's workers and youth workers and students' workers and women's workers and men's workers and church leaders. Pray for workers to go into the harvest field pray and then go you see praying this prayer is a very dangerous prayer to pray before you start praying it you better know what the deal is look on to chapter 10 verse 1 see the chapter division can be quite unhelpful here at the end of chapter 9 jesus tells his disciples to pray and in chapter 10 he told them the disciples to go he sent them out it's quite a dangerous prayer to pray Because as we pray, Lord send people into the harvest field, the Lord might just say, uh, will you go please? I guess there'll be some here today who've been fired up by the vision, seeing the need, wanting to go. I had somebody grab me between the services who said just this, uh, responding to this need. I've got time, I've got resources, I'll go. On this Vision Setting Sunday, let me encourage you to begin looking into this if you're feeling yourself stirred up. Maybe it's me. Speak to someone in leadership here, and let's see if it's right for you to go. Of course, there's a sense in which we can all go. We all need to be about this work. We all know people who don't know Christ, neighbours, friends, colleagues, family. And let me say, if I may, it's been a huge encouragement over the last few weeks for me to see through the guest events and guest services, many people bringing friends, inviting friends. It's been fantastic. I think you've done a great job as a church family. We're all to be about this work of gathering the harvest, but there'll be some, you see, who are to do it full time, some gifted very specifically by the Lord to do this work. And so as we pray, and as the Lord sends us people who are ready to go, we want to be sure to be training them and that takes money. Let me tell you why I think it does take money. I'm going to depart from my notes for a moment just because I've thought of something that might help you to see why. We have a lot of doctors in the, um, in the congregation here, as you know. When I, uh, um, when I was installed here, the bishop gave me a piece of paper and he said to me, of the parish here, this is um, to be uh, your, uh, cure the souls, this is your charge and mine. The cure of souls, that's what I'm given as an Anglican minister. My job is to try and cure all the souls in this parish. Cure them from death because they are heading for eternity in hell. Now if that's my job, do you not think it's right that I am trained properly for it? Do you think that if you went to the hospital with something that was life-threatening... And the doctor said to you uh, this week as you turned up at the hospital, I've done a bit of part-time study. That would give you much encouragement. Um, I did a part-time course, you know. I want somebody, if I turn up at the hospital this week with a life-threatening problem, or with any problem, to be completely trained. Is it any different to want to cure souls? Of course it isn't. That's why it's going to take money, you see, if we're going to have leaders properly trained. And that is why we're asking everyone to review their giving in these next few weeks. You may not be able to give any more. That's fine. There's no arm-twisting going on here. We're just asking everyone to review it in the next three weeks, as Paul helpfully said to us, so that we can budget properly for next year. If we know more money is coming, we can start putting our plans into action. And will you hear this? And I think this is really exciting. Because there are so many of us through the three services, 9.15, 11 and 6.30, it won't take much from each of us for us to be able to have a very big impact. We reckon we get about 1,000 people through the doors on a Sunday. One extra pound from 1,000 people per week would make a big difference. You can do the sums. I can do these sums and I only got O-level maths. One extra pound a week from a 1,000 people, that is 52,000 pounds a year. And I think probably all of us could manage one extra pound. Don't despise a small increase. We won't. Uh, By the way, I don't know how much anybody gives and I don't want to know. So I I have no idea whether you review your giving or not or how much you give. I'm saying though, when you hand in a standing order form of an increase of four pounds per month, If we all did that, it would make a huge difference. Don't despise a small amount. See, if we all give what we can, we will be able to fund the training of the workers the Lord is sending us. We'll be able to continue our plan to plant a church every two years for the next 20 years. We'll be able to continue to reach out to forward and build up Christ Church. And under God, we may just see the entire spiritual landscape of Sheffield changed in one generation. Let's pray together. Well, I'll just leave a moment of silence for us to make our own response to the Lord in view of all that we've heard. And then, in a moment, Peter Collier, our church warden, will lead us in our prayers of intercession.